Well, good morning. Uh, last week, I really enjoyed uh, just being one of you at the congregation, being able to sit and just listen and learn from Terry Hebert, who came and shared. Uh, he's a president of SBC, and he, he talked in, about uh, the parable of the wedding banquet, and uh, that was wonderful. Uh, but as is almost always the case for me after having a week off from, from preaching, I, I'm just extra excited to be able to fill that role again here this morning. And hopefully you share even just a, a tiny bit of that excitement with me, and then I would be very grateful for that as well. We also took a, a week off from our sermon series in Proverbs. We're going to direct our attention back to that book, which means we're going to start playing another round of Wise and Otherwise, where we share uh, just a few Proverbs from different cultures over the course of, of, of long ago. And uh, there is an old Scottish saying, for example, <laughs> I like this one, uh, he sits very still who has a rip in his trousers. true. Just surprised it's a Scottish thing, that's all. There's an old Chinese, <laughs> there's an old Chinese saying, when you know there are tigers in the hills, don't go there. Words to live by. There's also an old Greek saying, cabbage cooked twice is death. Some might say the cabbage cooked once is death. Cabbage is death. You know, there's a lot of different iterations I could see of, of that proverb. There's an old Arabic saying, he who drives a donkey must smell its wind. <laughs> Saying, Pastor, was that a fart joke in church? I'm like, no, it was an old Arabic proverb. Leave me alone. Lastly, there was another old Scottish saying, it is not common for hens to have pillows. And that's true. And I have no idea what that proverb might mean. But of course, as much as we enjoy uh, talking about some of these old sayings from other cultures, we are primarily interested in what uh, the Proverbs have to say. Not just good sayings, not just sayings passed down uh, from a different culture through many years, but, but the inspired Word of God that's living and active, that is sharper than a double-edged sword, that will, should transform the way that we live, the way that we relate to Jesus Christ and to each other. And so today, it's that relating to one another that's our primary focus in the fact of what it means to be a good neighbor. But I didn't entitle the sermon, How to Be a Good Neighbor. I said, this is going to talk about neighboring. I wanted to make it a verb. I wanted to make it an action because that's truly going to be what, what changes for us. Now, we want to do this intentionally. You see, where you are situated, who your neighbors are, where you live, what neighborhood you find yourself in is just something that, that happens to you. You find a house that you like and you're there. You don't always get to choose your neighbors. But what you do, how you relate, how intentionally you choose to be in building relationship with the people you find yourself surrounded by, that is up to you. That is an action, and it's that intentionality that we want to keep in mind when we look at what it means to be a good neighbor. And of course, we see lots of different examples of what neighboring looks like in the world around us. How many of you are aware that today is Super Bowl Sunday? It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year, uh, and, and, I, and I love it uh, because of the food and sometimes because of the football. And, and you'll, a lot of you will watch the Super Bowl later on, and you might see a State Farm Insurance uh, advertisement during the Super Bowl. They love to advertise during, during all the football games, and, and I appreciate their ads. They're clever, and their motto, to try to explain how they're always there for you in your time of need, their motto is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Well, see, the world is telling us something about what neighboring might look like. 
I'm going to date myself a little bit with this next example, but as a teenager, I was watching, you know, Home Improvement, and whenever Tim the Toolman Taylor needed some good advice, he would go to his backyard and his neighbor Wilson happened to be there. And you never see Wilson, you'd only see his eyes above the fence as he would lean there and say, hi ho neighbor Tim. And he would listen and give his wisdom to what Tim needed in that moment. We learned something about what the world might might consider to be a good neighbor there. And yet even further in my past, in my childhood, watching some shows, you'd have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. This picturesque idea of a neighborhood. And so, of course, whether it's our own experience as we watch things and as we, as we have our own neighborly experiences, we, we have all of these things that paint a picture for, for neighboring for us. And yet again, we want that primacy. We want that, that the Word of God to be what truly instructs us into what neighboring looks like. And Scripture talks quite a bit about neighboring as well. The law... The law of Moses, the Old Covenant, dictated to the children of Israel how communities should operate, how neighbors should treat one another. And in the New Covenant, Jesus teaches to love our neighbor as ourself, really just re-quotes the old law, and then goes further and shows that anyone can be a good neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus really blows the hinges off, blows all these boundaries off, what it means to neighbor. And really, as much as as that teaching is good and it's great, and we're not going to talk a lot about it today, not because we're ignoring the teaching of Christ, not because that shouldn't be a good focus, but we really want to allow Proverbs to teach us and give its own voice. And, And the background of the Proverbs is the law of Moses. And Proverbs in particular, as I was reading through the book and trying to draw out these themes that would give us a good survey of the book over the course of our series, Proverbs in particular was really interested in how we relate to our neighbors in close proximity to us. So when we talk about neighboring today, yes, Jesus says we can be a good neighbor to anyone, but we're going to have a primary focus on who is directly around us. That's where we're going to spend our time. And so one such example of this is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. And we can open up your Bibles to that if you'd like. I'll have the scripture on the screen behind me as well. It's a bit of a complicated proverb, but the summary statement at the end, I think, drives the point home. Proverbs 27, 10 says this. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is near is far away. There is a little bit of confusion as to what the beginning of that proverb may be hinting at. It does talk about not forsaking your friends. So there's a certain amount of loyalty and allegiance that's at play here. And then there's this recognition that maybe sometimes when things go wrong, we may not have the opportunity to be to, a, to go to our closest friends or our brother or our family. But sometimes we need the people around us to be there for us when we are in a time of need. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother in the day, uh, 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 sorry, than a brother who is far away. So this proverb reminds us of this focus on physical neighbors who are near. And that, again, will be our focus together this morning. But more than that, it recognizes the importance of community. It's not just having people that are close at hand. It's having relationships with those people close at hand so that when we are in need, we can rely on them. These neighborly relationships are of close value. They matter. It's a piece of the puzzle. When my family and I were living in Stonewall, we didn't live in a typical neighborhood. 
We were on the outskirts of the old core of the city on a street that was a main thoroughfare as much as there is a main thoroughfare in Stonewall. And across the way, we had the high school and Lions Manor and the hospital. And then we had rental properties on either side. And we just didn't get to know our neighbors very well. And we missed it. We felt a gap. And so when we were moving to Steinbeck and looking for a place to live, we wanted something with a neighborhood feel. And we believe that we found it. And for all those times that we did not know our neighbors well, both by circumstance and by something that was not a very good priority for us at the time, we have now truly enjoyed getting to know our neighbors in Steinbeck. And we find that having people that know us and appreciate us and help us close at hand is true. This proverb has rung true for us. And if we are to be people of God who follow the instructions of Scripture and to build important relationships with one another, those relationships will look different. We'll have family and friends and coworkers and church family and acquaintances. And, and neighbors are a piece of that relational puzzle. They're one of many important relationships that are designed to support and encourage you and your family. So don't dismiss the importance of building relationships with those who live around you. But in this fast-paced world, we can easily ignore our neighbors. Proverbs is, is written to a group of people in which these communities were vital. They were small, they were close-knit, they needed each other. And then they couldn't rely on people who were far away because traveling long distances was prohibitive for them. We don't have that same problem today. We are in a, a globalized setting. We can, we can travel across the world in a matter of a day or two. We can, in this digital age, connect to people in our time of need, no matter where they live in this world. And yet, I think we have this, this problem where we dismiss this importance of those who live close to us. And we can say, I don't need to have relationship with neighbors because I have all these other relationships that are important to me. And in this fast-paced culture, we can have this habit of driving into our garage at the end of the day, driving out in the morning and rinse and repeat. Now, when I was living with my parents still and we moved to Airdrie, Alberta, it was a, a bedroom community for Calgary. And both Calgary and Airdrie at that point and really since have been booming. There's been a huge, huge uh, economic and, and growth, and everybody's there to, to get a job, to, to, to climb the corporate ladder. Lots of dual-income families that just drive into Calgary and then drive back out. And Airdrie was only the place where they would live. And my mother, and I love this about her, she wanted to reach out to the people that lived in close proximity. She wanted to get to know her neighbors. And, and so she would bring something like a plate of cookies, and people would almost look at her like she had three eyes. Like, what are you doing here? Because to them, Airdrie was where they slept, and that was it. There was this dismissal of any need to invest in the people around it and to have a true neighborly feel. So we need to push back against this temptation to say that we don't need these relationships to, to resist the temptation of just driving into and out of our garages. We need to be good at neighboring. And it starts with an awareness. We need to be aware of who our neighbors are. This should sound very familiar. Uh, it should be uh, something that we uh, talked about at uh, church camp. Roger mentioned church camp and last June, or was it May, or sometime around there, we were out and our, our speaker, Kelby Friesen, came and talked about what it means to be a good neighbor. And so lots of this sermon, we'll, we'll touch on many of those things he challenged us with all those months ago. And he shared something that looks like this, which says, who is my neighbor? Which is the first question I give for you as well. Who is your neighbor? And you're here in the middle, and just 
realizing that you are surrounded by people on all sides. Wherever God has placed you, wherever your community is, whoever is next to you, those are your neighbors. And so this is a fridge magnet, and, and Kelby printed off for us uh, sheets of paper, but you don't need any type of visual cue in order to know that this step of neighboring starts with being aware. Who is next to me? Who is across from me? Who is behind me? What are their names? What are their kids' names? What are their jobs? What are their hobbies? And then we start by just being aware of who they are, and then we dig down deeper into getting to know them better. Who is your neighbor? Recognizing now that rural settings are different, if you're on a farm or an acreage or a hobby farm or anything like that, you're more spread out. Even then, even then, you should be able to know who is around you, who your neighbor is. And you get to know them by name. That's the easy part. Who are their names? But it shouldn't shouldn't stop just by their names. You should know, again, all those greater details about them uh, over the course of time. Getting to know the details requires that intentionality. This is why we wanted to make the, the, the focus neighboring. What are we going to do? How are we going to act? We need to intentionally know our neighbors. And it takes time to stop, talk, and listen. Now, I've got some retired neighbors on a couple sides of me, and they have no problem taking time out of their day to stop and talk. Sometimes for me, that's the challenge. I'm going places. I've got things to do. I've got a checklist, and I've got time I want to spend with my family and time that I want to do my own hobbies. And so it requires some discipline on my part. If you're like me, maybe feel the same way to stop and talk and listen. The neighbor across the way, he loves chatting. So whenever he is out on a driveway, we're shoveling at the same time or we're going for walks, I, I know it's important to him. And if I need to stop and talk and listen, then I will learn something about Roy. And then my next door neighbor, his name is Bill. And we'll often in the summertime find ourselves doing yard work at the same time. And so he'll say, hey, and I have learned some significant things about my neighbor Bill leaning on a rake or stopping our lawnmowers so we could take time to talk to each other. This can happen naturally, but it must be intentional to get to know our neighbors better. Again, that proverb said, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. But that is only true when you take the time to build a relationship with those that are close to you. That's when this proverb works. The second point that I think Proverbs makes for us is that in our neighborly relationships, it is blessed to give and receive. And this all starts with being generous to everyone, but specifically our neighbors, a point that's made in Proverbs 3.28. Again, I'll read it for you, and it's on the screen behind me. Proverbs 3.28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. <laughs> so this is making a point. It's painting it in that negative sense of what not to do. Like if there is something that you have that you know your neighbor would benefit from, don't put them off. Don't tell them, I'll give it to you tomorrow. Do not withhold something. Instead, be generous. Be someone who is willing and ready to give and to share what you have with those who are in your community. Be generous, and it begins with being generous with your stuff, with the things, what what you have. And this is a good life practice. Are you generous with what you own? Are you a generous person with what God has blessed blessed you with, these resources that you have been given? 
I think my wife Karen is a good model for me of what it means to be generous with what we have. She loves to make food and give that to others. So at Christmas, it involves making some extra baking and then handing it around to the, to the neighbors around us. When we find out that someone in our community is sick, then it's about making extra soup and then giving it to them. Or, or we've had some neighbors that have had babies and then make an extra meal or two and then go hand it to them. It's, we may not have all the things, but what we do have, we want to be free to give. Uh, when we came out of church camp last year, Karen and I were... were Convicted. We needed to be better at this neighboring thing. And so we decided we wanted to throw a, uh, an, a block party barbecue. And so for our arm of the bay that we, that, that we were living in, we, we sent out invitations and we told people, so you know, can bring some salads and stuff to share, but we're going to supply the, the meat and we're going to grill it. We're going to barbecue. We're going to have a great time. And I was blown away. We had 85% of the people able to come, and a few others say they'd like to, but they couldn't. And there was a tremendous amount of appetite, of desire, just to get together. And it just needed a little bit of a push. It needed someone to take that step, that intentionality of sharing what they had and inviting others into it. Now, I'm not doing this to brag. I'm saying that we weren't always great at getting to know our neighbors. And since we have been more intentional, I will tell you that these proverbs are true, that they work that these relationships can and are valuable, and that people around you are looking for this and need someone to take the first step. Can we be generous with our stuff? And not just that, but can we be generous with our time? This certainly can refer back to those extra and intentional conversations on driveways and front yards and backyards. But this idea of generous, being generous with our time can and should go even further. It should include having people over for dinner because you just connect with people more when you host them in your home. It can be messaging or emailing to see how people are doing, Um, uh, just volunteering to look after a neighbor's house when you know they're away on vacation, inviting someone to go for coffee, telling them that you want to connect with them even when it isn't natural. You're going out of your way to say, hey, let's go for coffee. Hey, come over to our place. I care about you. That's the message that's given and received when you can do these things. And even if you're someone that may not have a lot of things to be generous with, we all have time as a resource that we can freely give to our neighbors in order to live according to Scripture. And lastly, there may be a summary statement. We need to be generous with our attention. This is the cumulative effect of being generous. It shows that you truly care for the people around you. I am freely giving you what I have. I'm freely giving you my time. I'm freely giving you my attention. You matter to me. And this in turn opens doors to talk about things that truly matter because now there is trust. Now there is relationship. Now there is honesty. And a lot of that comes through this awareness and through this generosity that we should be living out each and every day. But it is blessed to give and to receive which means that in order to do this neighboring thing properly, we need to allow our neighbors to be generous in return. And church, I've grown up in the church and I've seen the Christian mindset. And I would say that I would wager to guess that for many of us, it is easier to be generous than to receive someone else's generosity. It's easier for us to dole out and to say, yeah, I'm living this life like Christ wants me to. I have so much stuff. I'm happy to do that. But then when when we need help, it can be hard to receive it. There's a certain amount of pride that can get in the way. And if we always give and we never receive, then we miss out on a huge component of relationship building and being 
a good neighbor. But we can be selfish about it a little bit, just recognizing that when we allow our neighbors to be generous to us, it blesses us as well. When they also freely give of their stuff, of their time and their attention, it matters to us. (laughs) And I've been really good at this. I'm a great neighbor for receiving what others want to give. That's something I'm doing great. So yeah, I will chat with Roy at the edge of the driveway. But then all of last year when we had these big dumps of snow at different times and I get up early, put all my stuff on, I'm going to shovel my driveway. When I get out there, there's no snow on my driveway because Roy took his big old snow blower and got it all out of the way. Later on, when I wanted to make sure that some of the um, snow on my roof got pulled down, I borrowed a roof rake from Roy, but he insisted on coming over and using it himself. And all of a sudden now, when we need to have someone to watch Silas because I'm at work and Karen has an appointment, it's my um, neighbors Bill and Cindy who freely take them into their home and let them watch Netflix for as long as he wants. And then he demands snacks of them and it's boom, just like that. And all of a sudden we had this huge renovation project. And for multiple days we had neighbors in our house ripping up an old floor and installing a new one. They've been incredibly generous to us and that has mattered to us in our life in a very tangible way. It's one of our joys in our community as it stands right now. But the reason it's blessed to give and to receive is not because of what we get. It's the fact that their ability to be generous also blesses them. And Jesus himself is quoted as saying in Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than receive, which is a concept that might be hard to teach a child at Christmas time, but it certainly needs to ring true as we build relationships with others. When you allow the people around you to be generous with what they have, you show them dignity, you show them value, and you allow them to enjoy the blessing of giving. So when we are hesitant to receive others' generosity, we are hesitant to allow them that blessing. And this is how healthy relationships work. Mutuality. Give and receive. And as soon as a relationship becomes out of balance in either of those measures, it is no longer healthy. One of my favorite books I read this past year is called Faithful in Small Things by Kevin Weeb, who's an EMC pastor, younger than me, published already. I'm more than a little bit jealous. He did a great job writing this book about how we can serve others. And one of the things that he mentions is how we need to learn to receive better. To help others isn't just about giving, it's about this willingness to receive. And he says on page 96, healthy relationships cannot exist. They cannot exist in the absence of a willingness to both give and receive. So if you want to help others, give. If you want to help others, receive. It needs to go both ways. It needs to be mutual. If it's out of balance, it becomes a problem. And it can become out of balance when we just give. Yet if we are too eager to receive and never give back, that can become a problem as well. Which is a reminder in in Proverbs 25, 17 which is, again, a hilarious proverb that I I really enjoy these funny ones and and makes a certain point. It says, Let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you (laughs) and hate you. (laughs) So yeah, receive, but don't be a burden. Don't impose yourself. Don't go there 
over and over and over and over again. And one of the reasons this proverb makes so much sense to those who would have read it for the first time is that it is steeped in the obligation of hospitality of the law of Moses. Again, the Old Covenant is the backdrop of the Proverbs. And if you're to go to the Old Covenant, it is direct in how as a neighbor you are responsible to look after the people around you. So much so that if you read Leviticus 25.35, if a neighbor around you becomes extremely poor, the law commands you to take him into your own house. Which would certainly, if that was still true, it would certainly change the way we view our neighbor's spending habits, hey? I'd be like, hey, Bill, you bought a new truck. Are you sure that's a good idea? Because <laughs> I don't want you to drive that thing and then sleep in my basement, you know? They were obligated to be hospitable. They were required to do that. And so if someone came and asked something of you, they would give it. If they needed something, they would give it. If they needed to come in, then they were always let in. So there would always be that temptation, knowing this obligation, to take advantage of the system. Those who would use this law and the commandment to their own benefit to always receive and to never give. So today it is true that you should be able to give and receive in balance, in an equal measure. The goal is mutuality, to give and receive freely. Don't wear out your welcome in the neighborhood. There's one final point that I'd like to make, and to, to highlight this, I want to go to Proverbs 12, 26. Proverbs 12, 26. And this is important, because we've talked a lot about just good relationship habits. But what is the kingdom principle here? How does this matter eternally? Proverbs is not silent on that either. Listen to these words. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So what does Proverbs say? It says that you can be a good spiritual influence to your neighbors. Proverbs says you are a guide. And in New Covenant language, on this side of the cross, Paul says that you are an ambassador of Christ. How you live, how you relate to those around you, can have a profound and eternal spiritual impact. But a guide, by the very nature of who and what a guide is, does his job on purpose. And so should you. This is neighboring. This is intentional. This is on purpose. And so what is your purpose and how you relate to those you live in community with? You need to point people to Jesus. That's your job. This is how we should do things. This is why all the other aspects of neighboring matter so much. And it starts with being aware of knowing who you are surrounded by, who you are in community with. And then it begins by, by being generous, by giving and being willing to receive the generosity of others. And it starts to include modeling and showing a life that is truly committed to following Jesus. But it should eventually include this guide aspect of intentional spiritual conversations. So a few ways that this can look, and I've shared this before, but I'll continue to share it again. We need to be ready to talk about what we believe. We need to be prepared. We need to look for chances to talk about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And as you talk to your neighbors and get to know them better on driveways and backyards and in your home and over coffee, when they start to talk about things that truly matter, about their hopes and their dreams and their, and their griefs and their losses and, and what they believe, then we need to also be ready to talk about what we believe. 
And Greg Steer, in his um, Dare to Share Ministries, as he talks about evangelism, he says that there is a natural point when we talk about things that matter. There's a fork in the road. There's a natural point in every conversation where we can choose to steer it towards spiritual things and be willing to bring God up, to have the courage to do this. Or we could take the safe way and to steer it away from spiritual things. We have that opportunity. So this is not about being heavy-handed or trying to shoehorn the gospel into a conversation where it does not belong. This, is, this will naturally occur. Do we have the courage to bring God up, to take that fork in the road in our conversations with our neighbors? It's part of what it means to be a guide. And even more so, as we take that fork in the road, we need to be prepared to share our own story. Because the Christian life isn't just a worldview or a set of beliefs or a repeat-after-me prayer. This is something that Jesus has done to transform who you are. It is part of your being. It is part of your story. And that's what people are looking to hear. That's what's going to make a difference to them. In some of the evangelism training we've done here at Stony Brook, we've talked about having even an elevator testimony that you can share the profound impact in Jesus, of Jesus on your life in 30 seconds or less. You can, on an elevator ride, up and down. That could be it. Or just as part of a conversation with your neighbor. It could say, as something as simple as this, there was a time in my life when I was anxious and angry. But through the transforming power of Jesus... I now have peace and contentment. That's it. That's my elevator testimony. You learned something about me today. And your neighbors can learn something about you. Are you willing and prepared to share your story? And lastly, I do think that part of being the spiritual guide to your neighbors is to be invitational. So here's what really excites me, and Kelby talked about this at church camp too. If we think back to that grid of where we live and all of those people who surround us, think now to how many people would be represented just with where we are located here in this room. If, if all of our family settings represent at least eight other families around us that we could have a positive spiritual impact in, think of what this church can and should do in our act of neighboring. In this act of being a good spiritual guide, of being willing to bring God up, of sharing our stories. And yes, I truly believe that if we are to, to accomplish this mission that God has given us as Stony Brook Fellowship, to connect the overchurched and the underchurched to Jesus, then we need to be an invitational church. We need to be willing to tell people about what's going on here, to invite them to come to church, to say, hey, check out what's going on with my spiritual family. Uh, just come with me to this place where I get spiritual encouragement to make it through the next week. Come and hear the teaching that is from the Word of God that can give you hope that matters for life everlasting. Point people to Jesus. And one way you can do that is by inviting them here. Um, I was thinking about this point and was reminded that there had been some invitations made these predate me. So they're a few years old. It says, you're invited, Stony Brook Fellowship. They're pretty well done. I think Earl designed these on his own. I think he's a graphic designer by trade. And uh, I thought, you know what? If we are going to do things intentionally, then sometimes a tool like this can be helpful. So if you are ready to do this neighboring thing and you want to be invitational as a part of it, I'd encourage you to grab a handful of these. They're on the back table in the foyer. And, and again, you can invite someone without handing them a card, but this can help and aid our focus in being in intentional as a spiritual guide. So please consider that. And it's not limited just to your neighbors. It can also be given to family and friends, coworkers where appropriate. We can be an invitational church and help accomplish the mission God has given us together.
Unfortunately for us, this proverb we read together has two different sides. It says if you are a guide and you're a righteous guide, this will go well. But the, the back half of that proverb says the way of the wicked leads them astray. So Proverbs teaches that no matter what you do, you are always a guide. You're just guiding in one direction or the other. You are still a guide. You could just be going the wrong way. To live this out would mean a lack of awareness of your neighbors. You just don't even take the time of day to know who they are. Or perhaps you know who they are, but you don't care, and you have a hard time with generosity, and you know what, this stuff is mine, theirs is theirs, let's just keep to ourselves. Or when you do get to know them, you might be living out inconsistent Christian behavior that reinforces their worry about hypocrisy in the church. And the lifestyle and the words that you use and the priorities that you give don't jive with what they think a follower of Jesus should believe. Or perhaps you are continually shying away from deep and meaningful conversations about Jesus. No matter what you do by action or inaction, you are a guide to those you live around. You will have an influence on your neighbors. What kind of influence will you be? That's the question that we are left with. So what does this art of neighboring entail? It means we need to be aware of who our neighbors are. It means we need to be generous with them with our stuff, with our time, with our attention. We need to learn to give and receive, and we need to do all of that in order to point people to Jesus. And how can we summarize these things? Here is your word to the wise today. Jesus is made known when you take the time to be a good and generous neighbor. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, you have placed us very intentionally all across southeastern Manitoba. God, you have given each and every one of our families an opportunity to love people, to love people in in tangible ways, through generosity, through attention, through awareness, and most importantly, loving others by sharing your love with them. God, may we be a group that just goes out from here, that disperses into where we live, to to love and to desire true, healthy community with our neighbors and to do everything to point people to you. God, may you go before us to open the doors into those meaningful conversations, to, to soften the hearts of those around us, to also desire to be in relationship with us and God in each and every way. May your name be proclaimed. May your kingdom come. We pray this in your name today. Amen.